If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to be in verses 20 through 36 this morning. And I appreciate Nathan reading that earlier in the service so much. If for no other reason, gives you a little time to marinate on the text a little bit. Just to sit there and spend a little time with the text as we prepare to hear God's word preached. As you're opening up there to John chapter 12, uh, let me just say how wonderful it is to worship with you here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden. I love those last two songs. I loved all the songs today, but especially those last two. One, uh, the first, In Christ Alone, songs written by songs written by a guy named Keith Getty and another guy named Stuart Townend. They, they wrote that song together. And then that second song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, Stuart Townend wrote wrote that song and and the music there but both those songs are songs that sound old but are actually new and the reason they sound old is because they they sing the same gospel that we've sung for a long time I love that I love the way that that those men are connecting and women are connecting what we do today with what the church has done for a couple thousand years now which is sing the truth to one another we praise the Lord for that. Well, since we've already read the text, we, we won't stand and read it today, but I do want to pray for us as we uh, dig into God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, open our hearts and minds today to receive your Word, God, and to be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. After the success and the fanfare of the 1889 World's Fair in Paris, the United States decided that they wanted to put on an even grander fair during the year of the 400th anniversary of Christopher Columbus's discovery of the New World. And thus, the idea for the 1893 World Columbian Exposition, or as many of us know it, the Chicago World's Fair. The idea was born. There was a big challenge though. Not only was Chicago a growing city and not only were they in recovery from the great Chicago fire, not only was it a place that had a lot of challenges in terms of the the the, the grime and the stench that the industry there produced. Not only the industrial city but also the great stockyards that were there in Chicago. There were a lot of challenges there, but one of the biggest that came to those who were planning the the Chicago World's Fair was the challenge of besting a marvel that had been unveiled on the world in Paris. It was the centerpiece of the Paris Exposition and really still a centerpiece in Paris today. The Eiffel Tower. The Eiffel Tower. It was a tower that was designed and shown to demonstrate the marvel of Gallic engineering. Just this beautiful tower that was there. Multiple designs throughout the course of the planning of the Chicago World's Fair were presented to the committee. But finally one design was chosen. And over and over and over again, folks went back and forth wondering whether this was even possible. Wondering whether or not it would be safe. Wondering whether or not this was something that anyone uh, would ever be able to accomplish. But at the outset of the fair, at 264 feet tall, and with a capacity of 2,160 fairgoers, George 
Washington Gale Ferris Jr.'s giant wheel was a sight to behold. And there it was, a unique sight to behold then, even if they're commonplace now. But even today, at that height, it would have been one remarkably large Ferris wheel. It's strange for us to think about a world in which a Ferris wheel doesn't exist, but there it was in 1893, created for the Chicago World's Fair. Over 27 million people attended that fair over the course of several months, and many of them came just to see, and it wound up being a financial boon for the fair that was at risk of losing a lot of money. They came to see Ferris's Chicago wheel. You know, we love to see important things. We love to see big things. We love to see beautiful things. If you go visit New York City, what are people going to ask you when you come back? Did you see the Statue of Liberty? Or did you see uh, the Empire State Building? If you go to San Francisco, people are going to ask you if you saw the Golden Gate Bridge. If you go to St. Louis, people are going to ask you if you saw the arch, the gateway arch. If you go to Philadelphia, people are going to ask you if you saw the Liberty Bell. Go to Birmingham. Everybody's going to want to know, did you go to the Vulcan today? See the Vulcan. We love to see important things. We love to see sights. We love to see things that are beautiful. Here in this text, a group of Gentiles come to Philip they utter this famous line, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Our friends and brothers and sisters over at 12th Street Baptist Church have a little plaque on their pulpit. has this verse on it. Sir, we would see Jesus. We wish to see Jesus. And this, for one reason or another, in John's gospel, and John's understanding of the story, and what we see here, this begins to move Jesus to announce that the hour has arrived. Now, as Christians and people who are familiar with this story, we know what the hour is, the hour of his passion, of his suffering. Jesus announces that the hour has come, and whether or not he actually goes and meets these Gentiles or not, John is showing us and demonstrating to us in this passage Jesus' answer to the question sir we wish to see jesus what is it then that if you want to see jesus what does jesus say you ought to see if you want to know who jesus is if you want to understand jesus as jesus is saying that the hour is arriving what is he announcing to these gentiles what is he announcing to his disciples what is he therefore through the pen of john announcing to you and by the power of the spirit this morning announcing to you when you see jesus this is what you must see this is then a sign to the world Sign to the Gentiles, what must we see when we encounter Jesus Christ? I want to show you three things this morning. I know you're surprised. Three things I want you to see in this text of Scripture today. Here's the first, first point this morning. I want you to see the sign of death. See the sign of death. Now we see that Jesus has told these people here in verses 24 through 26. He begins to talk then to his disciples. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Well, let's back up to 23. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The hour has arrived. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Down in verses 32 and 33, we'll also see Jesus demonstrating that when he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And John interjects there and says he was referencing the way in which he would die. Jesus is pointing people here to his cross, to his death, and the fact that he will be buried. And he basically says a piece of wheat is useless for growing wheat unless it's dead and cast into the ground, and then it can grow. And so Jesus is showing the way that his ministry will not bear the fruit that it's intended to bear unless he dies. Now listen, I want you to know, preachers and commentators and other folks over the years have tried all kinds of ways to sort of bypass this idea that Jesus came to die. People will try to argue that the point of Jesus coming into the world was to teach us how to live right. Now that's part of what Jesus has done, right? He did teach us to live right. But here's the other thing. My daily Bible reading, some guys in my small group have been reading this too, couple weeks ago we read through the Sermon on the Mount. Does everybody know what the Sermon on the Mount is? Y'all know what it is, right? Any of you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? All right, from the day you read the Sermon on the Mount, right, you've been doing it perfectly, correct? Y'all with me? People talk about the Old Testament law being tough. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? It's harder, man. At least in the Old Testament, I know every year I got to go to Jerusalem, I got to do this, I got to do that. But in the in the in the Sermon on the Mount, man, things get really tough. And so, if if Jesus, let's just be honest, let's just be honest. If Jesus came simply to be a moral teacher, man, he gave us a really hard life, didn't he? Because even us as his followers are not doing as great of a job as we could at living up to his. You see, folks have tried to skirt around. They've tried to say he came to be a great moral teacher or a moral example, or he came simply to identify with the oppressed, to undermine the oppressor. And now while there might be glimpses and gleams of truth in, in all these different theories, the reality is that Jesus didn't merely come to teach. He didn't simply come to be a moral exemplar. He didn't simply come in order to identify with the lowly. No, he identified with the lowly it precisely because he came to die. He came to die on our behalf. Brothers and sisters, we don't need a new rule set or a new sermon set to act outwardly on our corrupt hearts. We need something to come from the inside by the power of the Holy Spirit and to renew a heart that's corrupt and dead and to bring it to life. To take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. To take a spiritual life that's dead and make it alive again. We need Jesus to die for us. He's pointing them to the sign of death. If you want to know Jesus, you must know him in terms of his suffering. And he's also giving us hope as he dies, knowing that in the same way that he, like a grain of wheat, was planted in the ground and sown incorruptible, raised incorruptible. In the same way, we'll be sown corruptible in the ground, dead, and one day brought to life. See 
the sign of death, the death of the Son. But also, this has bearing on our own lives. Not only must we see the sign of death and the death of the Son, but also we must see the sign of death and death to our selves. Now, here's where things start to get tricky. Here's where things start to get difficult. We like the idea of the passion of the Christ. Why? Because Jesus is suffering for us. He's dying for us, and rightfully so. We struggle with the idea of the passion of the mat, the passion of the self, the dying to oneself. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, what does Jesus mean here? I, Jesus often employs a, a device that we might call hyperbole. He, 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 he makes these really bold statements in order to really make a point. One morning, our little girl, Emma Watts, was spending the night at my mom's house. My little sister was there, and she uh, was sleeping in a little later than Emma Watts thought she should. And so Emma Watts burst in the door and yelled out at the top of her lungs, I love this life trying to get my sister to wake up. Now, is Jesus telling us that that's not the sort of outlook that we ought to have? That we ought not to get up in the morning and say, you know what, I love the world I live in. I'm happy to be here. Let's get after it. It's a good day. This is the day the Lord has made. Is, is God displeased with Jamie Meredith and Sons who are giving us morning devotionals and exciting talks on Facebook video? Is God frustrated with that and wanting us to not enjoy this life? That's not the point that Jesus is making point that Jesus is making is that your love for God ought to be such and your love for the life that God gives you ought to be such that your sinful desires become like hate. We don't desire or care for those things anymore. In fact, what this does is it makes us love life in a genuine sort of way. When we hate the life that we make for ourselves and love the life that God has made for us, it transforms us with joy. So you hate your life to gain your life. In other words, to get the sort of joy that allows you, allows you to, to get after it on a Monday morning, to enjoy the world that God's given you. But Jesus also makes clear that there's a privilege to servanthood. Verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is the reality, brothers and sisters, we must die to ourselves. We must embrace our own death to find true life. That sounds counterintuitive precisely because it is. Because God does not want us to get the credit for what He does. Why? Not because God's just a megalomaniac or something like that. But instead, because He knows if we are trying to build a life for ourselves, it will never last. But if we will allow Him to build our life for us, it will last forever. If we are simply always trying to be served, then eventually that's going to break down. But if we will choose to serve Him, we will get the true honor that we really desire and that we really need. Knowing Jesus, then, means knowing the cross, knowing the cross in his life and in our own. But there's another sign we must see. Not only must we see the sign of death, but second of all, we must also see the sign of glory, the sign of 
glory. See the sign of glory in verses 27 through 31. Let's look first at 27, 28, 29. Look, look at your Bible with me. Now is my soul troubled, Jesus says. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Notice what happens in verse 29. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. And others said an angel has spoken to him. Here we see the third public testimony of the Father concerning who his son is and what his son is doing. Of course, the first was at his baptism and the second was at his transfiguration. It was a private disclosure. But here's the second very public disclosure of the voice of God. It's a sign of glory. It's a sign of the glory of God. You know, as a pastor, a lot of times... I hear people's desires, their spiritual desires, their desires for their spiritual life. What they, let me put it like this. I, I hear a lot about what people wish God would do. I hear a lot about what people wish God would do. Can you imagine, can you imagine what the suggestions box in heaven looks like? <laughs> you know, all of us are kind of like that in our lives. A lot of us just sort of, as we walk around town, or we ride around town, or we ride down the interstate, and we see something that we think that wasn't quite designed like it should be, or a design flaw, you know, we all kind of think, you know, if they had just called me, I would have given them advice on this. All they had to do was call me down at the Aldot, and I could have helped them with this. Here's reality, brothers and sisters. I hear a lot about what people wish God would do. And oftentimes it's things like, I don't know why God doesn't just rent one of those airplanes down at Gulf Shores, carries a banner behind it and put, I am real on it and fly it around. Yeah, I don't know why God doesn't just speak audibly to people all the time. Here's the reality, brothers and sisters. Even when God speaks audibly, even when God gives explicit open signs, do you see what happens? God talks from heaven. And you know what, what, uh, what uh, Jethro's doing? He scratches his head saying, I think I just heard it thunder. You know what Matt Alexander's out there doing? Saying, huh, I guess a storm's coming today. You see, we're so spiritually inept that when God does something supernatural, we just take it to be something natural. We miss it. We can't comprehend what God is doing. In fact, they're sitting there looking at Jesus himself and still not able to comprehend it. You need a sign a lot less than you think you do. You see, we so often suggest to God, we so often suggest to God that he ought to do things our way, all the while the evidence is mounting, mounting and mounting, showing us, proving to us how God wanted to do it is the best Way. What is God doing when he says this to Jesus in this context at this time? What God is saying is that he has glorified himself already, but that he will do it again. And how will he do it? Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's validating what Jesus is saying. Why do we always want to run to other things for validation of God, for understanding of who God is, when God himself points to the gospel? worries me, it bothers me, it troubles my heart 
when I see some of the things that Christians read and go to and things that Christians call deep or things that Christians call important, things that Christians are preoccupied with all the while their Bibles gather dust. All the while they don't have the most basic and rudimentary understanding of what God has done for us through the gospel. You see, the idea for Christians, it's so many adult Christians, is they think that the gospel was for Bible school. And once you put your faith in Jesus, you move on from that. But brothers and sisters, the gospel is the lens through which we understand everything about the Bible and everything about God. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to sing His praise than when we first begun. And every single one of those moments, every single one of those things that we praise God for will be rooted in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. This is a sign of glory where God is speaking from heaven and validating what He is doing through Christ. But not only that, Not only is God speaking of His own glory, but then also Jesus tells them, verses 30 and 31, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now listen to what He says in verse 31. This is good news for a Christian. This will get you all excited today. This will get you all excited today. Now, verse 31, is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. I hate it as a pastor. I hate to see the way the devil works in Christ's church. I hate to see the work of the devil in the world. I can't stand it. It makes me sick. tears me up as a pastor. And yet what is Jesus saying? In this sign of glory, he's declaring to you that he will defeat the devil. Satan is the ruler of this world, and Jesus says that his own death will be the devil's undoing. In other words, what might seem like the devil's crowning achievement is actually his own undoing. Brothers and sisters, we can't be off with our oppressor on our own. We can't cast him out on our own. You know what happens when we try to do it on our own. We're like the seven sons of Sceva. Tried to cast out a demon in the book of Acts. What happens to the seven sons of Sceva? They say, Paul, Jesus we know, and Paul we've heard of, but you we don't know. This, these demons beat them up. Cast them out. You see, we, we have no power over the devil on our own. It's the reason why we're... We're so scared of scary movies and we're so scared of ghost stories and these kind of things because there's a darkness and an evil that's really there in the world that we have no power over. But here is the reality. Jesus says, now will the ruler of this world be cast out? God is able to bind up the strong man and cast him out. Jesus Christ came from heaven to deliver us from the devil. He will cast him out. God's strong man is doing it for us through weakness, through submission, through death. Objectively, we can look and we can see objectively the reality of these two signs. The sign of death, Jesus Christ died on the cross. It's a historical, historically reported incident. We see it and our hearts are moved and stirred. We see the sign of glory. We hear that God spoke from heaven and it stirs our hearts and moves our hearts. But Those aren't the only signs. Those are objective signs. 
But I want you to know that there's a subjective sign. Not just a sign that we look and see, but a sign that applies to you. It's our third point and our final point. See the sign of salvation. See the sign of salvation. Verse 32. And I, Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the sign that lets each and every one of you in this room, each and every one of you watching or listening at home, each and every one of you who can hear this message, this is the sign that lets you know that the death of Jesus Christ and the glory of who Jesus Christ is is available to you today. If I am lifted up, Jesus said, like the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness and then people were healed of that malady in the same way if Jesus be lifted up and even now, brothers and sisters, in the preaching of his word right here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden, Alabama, right now at this very moment, Fifth and Walnut Streets in downtown Gadsden, Alabama, not only did, was Jesus lifted up there in Jerusalem outside on Golgotha, but also even now as his word is being preached, Jesus Christ pierced and broken for you is being lifted up and even now in this moment I believe with all my heart that there are some of you here today who do not know Jesus and who are feeling the power of the Spirit working in your heart saying I see him in his death and I see him in his glory and even now God is knocking at the door of your heart asking you beckoning you come and know me meet me for the first time are you seeing the sign of salvation are you seeing the sun lifted up you see these gentiles these greeks came to see jesus and see him they would they would see him lifted up on the cross drawing all men to himself you see they wanted to meet jesus and get to know him but jesus says the hour is here and if you want to know me if you want to see jesus this is how i must be seen lifted up and glorified and doing the will of my Father, a sign of salvation for sinners worldwide. He is drawing you to himself. And he makes a wonderful point. People were kind of frustrated with him, thinking that he would be here forever, and they said, we've heard that the Messiah would be here forever. So how can you be the Son of Man and be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? What does Jesus say? The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Now Jesus here is not just speaking for us today, but he's speaking to those who are immediately around him, and he's speaking to them in such a way that's showing them, I won't be here forever. But elsewhere in the Gospel of John, we learn that he would send his helper to be with his people, that Christ's very real presence is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are united in Jesus, that we abide in him and he in the Father. But today, 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 I want you to know that Jesus will not tarry forever. 
You know, as believers, so often we look at the fact that Christ has not come back yet, and we sometimes get a little bit frustrated, don't we? Especially in, in times when there are funerals of loved ones or difficult situations. We wonder sometimes, Jesus, you died on the cross. The, the, you've got the power over sin and death and the devil. Fought Jesus, why have you not returned? Even now. Even now the Lord could return and yet he waits. And could in God's infinite wisdom. God's boundless mercy. God's grace that knows no ends and no bounds. Could it be that in the mind of God, one reason why He delays, one reason why He tarries is for you. For you. For you, O sinner, running from God, yet beloved of God. Denying God His rightful place in your heart, yet pursued by God could it be that God allows you to remain in the light to hear one more sermon to hear the gospel presented one more time to give you one more opportunity to know him what mercy what grace some of you may have been running from God away from the church and out into the world like the prodigal son wallowing around in all sorts of slop of sin some of you may have been running from God right here to these pews every Sunday since this church was founded right trying to convince yourself that you don't really need that grace that's been offered to you but what if today as the son of man is lifted up in His Word, as you see Jesus there broken for you, as you see from His hands, from His feet, from His side, sorrow and love flow mingled down. As you look to Jesus being lifted up, could it be that even now, as you walk in the light, even now as the light exposes your heart from the truth of the Word of God, could it be that Jesus of Nazareth, broken for you right here in this moment, is drawing you to Himself today? Today, brothers and sisters, today, the Scripture says, is the day of salvation. You didn't miss your chance before, and there may not be another opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Respond while the light is still in your presence. Respond to Jesus. See the sign of His death. See the sign of His glory. And today, oh praise be to God, could today be the day where you see as the scales fall from your eyes for the first time the sign of salvation in your own heart in your own life. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never met Jesus for the first time, today what I hope you'll see, when you leave First Baptist Church, people ask you what you saw today, I hope your answer is Jesus. I hope you've seen the sign of salvation. Today, if you would turn from your sins in repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus Christ, I believe that He will save you Today, this altar is open for you. Come talk to me. I'll pray with you. I'll be here waiting. And second of all, you may be a believer, but you may say, Pastor, I've not been living out this truth like I should. This altar is open for you today. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. 
I'd love to talk to you about what it means for you to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. And God, I pray that we'll see him today. Lord, I pray that you would draw people to yourself through your son today. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.